Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. And this particular one is set ground rules for behaviour in your next meeting. We're also going to be having a chat with Christina about the innovation generally in Australia. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Human Relations Specialist Craig McGregor. And we're going to talk about LinkedIn in the recruitment process. Good afternoon, Craig. G'day, Julian. How are you going today? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us again. Um, yeah, no problems. Happy New Year to you for a long, belated one. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so, well, uh, certainly it started off cracking. Started off cracking. That's great. Yeah. Do, do I need a LinkedIn profile? Yeah, well, I suppose. Interesting question. If you Look, I think if you're job searching, it's a really effective tool. So I thought today we could cover, you know, for those people that are, are in that job search mode, but also, you know, let's, let's look at both sides of the equation. Why do employers use LinkedIn? And, and probably more importantly, if you're in that job search mode, why do candidates need a LinkedIn profile? So, so let's have a look, first of all, the employers. How, how do employers use LinkedIn? Yeah, so LinkedIn's a, it's a, it's a social media platform. There's, it's similar to job boards, um, but probably a little bit more uh, centralised, so they can be a bit more specific in the sorts of targets that they're approaching. Um, there's a, a system that they can pay for uh, to go into the back end of LinkedIn and actually try and search or headhunt uh, various skill sets and individuals. It's a place where they go and, I suppose, validate information. So if on your, your resume you say you have human resources skills, they can go in and have a look at your LinkedIn profile and there might be some recommendations from other individuals and professionals that would you know, talk about or validate the skills that you've got. Um, they also, it's a space where they can create shortlists and go, okay, look, we want to create a shortlist for a human resource professional and we find Craig McGregor and Julian Campbell and we'll, we'll have a look at those guys and then try and connect so, uh, with the individual. So it's a, it's a great place for employers to find new staff. Is it uh, generally the more professional people in there? Yeah, more than likely, but that is changing. Um, that you know, as as LinkedIn evolves, um, it is growing in the blue collar space. But you're right, the white collar um, candidates are probably where where uh, are more prevalent in LinkedIn. So uh, we've looked at the employers. What about the job seekers themselves? How would they use LinkedIn? is do I need a LinkedIn profile and that's one of the questions that most people ask me and, and I think it, it can be a little bit like a tap you know like if you're in a great job and you don't want people to find you then maybe it is you you put your, your profile on silent because it can be annoying getting those emails and contact requests or connection requests all the time but when you're in job search mode it's a really great tool where you can um, segregate yourself from the market you can engage in conversations with groups where you know like using HR again um, you can go into those sorts of groups in Newcastle or in um, specific skill professions and, and showcase your skills through conversations. It's a place to connect and find like-minded people, but it's also a great place to do research. So if I was going to do an interview with Julian Campbell today, you know, beforehand, probably a great idea to have a look at Julian's LinkedIn profile and, and see, is there any common ground? You know, did we go to the same university or the same school? Is there a common interest or is there a group that he's engaged in that I'm, I'm engaged in that, that I can use as a bit of a tool to connect with Julian more effectively in the interview process. So have you got any tips for the way of you set up a profile in LinkedIn? Yeah, I think the most important thing to think about when you are starting or reviewing your LinkedIn profile is 
keywords. It's very similar to Google. You need to make sure that it's very keyword rich. So you're right, human resources or recruitment, those are the sorts of words that I want in my profile so that when Julian starts to search for me, those words are in my profile. There is a bit of an algorithm that they use and one of the key things that I think most people get wrong is in the headline component. So my headline, for example, says uh, recruiter, career coach and podcaster. And so that's the sort of one of the key areas that I would find. A lot of people will use currently looking for next opportunity. Well, as a recruiter, I'm never typing in the words currently or next or opportunity. So that's a waste of those keyword spaces. Um, it's also pretty critical, I think, to have a professional photo. We are human beings. We seem to tend to try and uh, seek people who are real people as opposed to people that might be robots on, on those sorts of sites. But Another quick take I really like is, and a lot of people don't realise it, you can actually personalise the URL. So you can go into the back end and, and edit your profile. And so, for example, it might say www.linkedin slash Julian Campbell 56825 because there's a lot of Julian Campbells out there. You can actually go in and reduce those numbers and you could use a business tag or some other um, anagram, anagram if you like. And then you can pop that into your um, resume as a hyperlink, and it looks really professional. So as a recruiter or a hiring manager, they can just go straight from your resume, and here's this really schmick-looking URL that's personalised to you, and they go straight to your LinkedIn profile. Do you find uh, businesses are using the business pages in uh, LinkedIn? Yeah, it's growing. It's growing quite rapidly. It's it's an interesting uh, conversation. Like, I've... I've actually had this conversation with LinkedIn directly that I think it still is, isn't mature as much in the, say, smaller markets like the Hunter. If we were in Sydney or Melbourne or you know, big cities in the US, LinkedIn would be such a more powerful tool because uh, population density and also the kinds of candidates that are there. I think slowly, uh, like most regional centres, we catch up. And I think over the next you know, two to three years, I think there'll be more and more people on LinkedIn and more and more small to medium businesses will catch on to the power of it and we'll all start using it a little bit more. And I suppose that uh, job seekers could then use it as a tool for finding out about the, uh, the business that they're going to go and, and apply for. Absolutely. And so, you know, you can make decisions on whether or not this is the right kind of organisation for you. But again, I've always uh, talked about that interview is about making a connection with the other person at the other side of the table. And from a, an, uh, you know, a, a recruiter or a hiring manager's point of view, you want people who want to work for you. So if I can showcase to Julian that I've done some research about his business or himself personally through research on LinkedIn, it just puts me that little bit ahead of candidate B in the interview process. Right, and uh, of course you still have your involvement with uh, the Maitland Business Chamber. What, what's coming up next month? Yeah, still love the Maitland Business Chamber. It's a great place to network with uh, like-minded small, medium business owners here in our region. And yeah, we've got a really good breakfast coming up on March 21. So we just had a great breakfast last Thursday where we heard about the new hospital, which is okay. going to be fantastic for our region. But next month, we've got a, a business breakfast that's all about innovation, and it's going to be fun. Mm. We're going to be in the jail, so hopefully I don't get locked up, Julian. Innovation, eh? We're just, uh, that's yeah. interesting. We're just about to talk innovation, so that will be uh, excellent. We can uh, have another chat about that another time. Excellent. Yeah, well, thanks very much, uh, Craig. We'll talk with you again soon. No worries. Anytime, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Craig McGregor there with, uh, yeah, Luke LinkedIn is, uh, I think, a growing tool. It's certainly being used by a lot of uh, professionals in uh, Australia and particularly 
looking for work and was the original concept behind LinkedIn. Of course, it's become a little bit of the uh, professional's Facebook these days, but it's still very, a very valuable uh, recruitment tool. Time to have our week, weekly chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon. How are you, Julian? I'm very well, although it isn't a weekly because we missed you last week. Yes, I know. I was, I was flying in Spain, but, <laughs> you know, Australia is such a long way away from everywhere. So you've, you've been tripping around the world a lot, and we, yeah. what we were having a quick discussion earlier about innovation in Australia compared to other places around the world. So what, what are yeah. you finding over there? So what I'm finding is that people have an, um, have an elevated view of what we're doing here. So when I'm in, for example, Boston at the Innovation Conference, the front-end innovation conference there, uh, and people find out that I'm from Australia, they go, oh, you guys are doing it so well over there and, you know, we're, we're admiring what you're doing. And I'm standing back there thinking, well, isn't that strange because Australia is admiring what the US is doing and the whole yeah. Silicon Valley thing. And then when I go to Spain and I'm sitting in a room full of um, full of people from around the globe. So at the conference that I was at, it was a Singularity U conference and there were people from Israel and Portugal and the States and South Africa and, you know, people from all over the world sharing their ideas and opinions. Um, and this is quite a special group of people because the main aim of it is collaboration. And as we were talking about before... The theory is that we don't need to be sending our startups um, over to Silicon Valley. The encouragement received from SU is that you create your own Silicon Valley in your own countries, in your own centres. Um, and having said that, I was having a conversation with um, one of the one of the attendees from Israel. And, mm. and you know, my, my my thing is, isn't it great that Israel is spending twelve dollars ninety seven per capita? Um, on innovation and Australia is spending $2.50 something um, per capita on innovation. But she looked at me and she said, yes, but we have to. What else do we have? Uh, and then when you think about the lifestyle over there and the lifestyle that we have here, all mm. of a sudden her comment shifts the perspective on things a little bit because they, they're basically literally fighting for survival um, in Israel in some, in some areas on a daily basis. Um, so therefore, their only way forward is innovation, and innovation, as we know, often comes through necessity. So here's here's a country that that is divided and torn, and you know there's so much going on within the country that the only way forward is to innovate. Whereas sometimes I think we become a little complacent. Yeah. We don't reach for the stars. We don't reach for the moon. We we have um, an idea of where the glass ceiling is, and and we don't tend to strive beyond that mm. because we're comfortable, you know. It, yeah. it, when it all boils down to it, we're comfortable. And that's why our, our um, I guess if I want to call them our top innovators, do seek to leave our shores rather than remain mm. here um, and and be amongst... Uh, look, I don't want to sound bad about what we're doing because I'm really proud of, of my country and I'm really proud of what we're doing, but oftentimes I'll look at what other countries are doing and I'll go, oh, why can't we be doing that? And it's almost like we, we just don't strive high enough, tall enough, far enough because we're comfortable and because we have this complacency. And I think that's been around for a long, long time. Back in the 1980s, uh, when I was working on defence equipment, uh, we had uh, we were buying 
uh, equipment from overseas and part of the contract was that a third of the uh, contract had to be spent in Australia and therefore yep. uh, American companies were looking for all sorts of opportunities to bring manufacturing to Australia and I went over to America and I was in this room where all these manufacturers were brought together and I was the only Australian company in the room. Um, well. the, rest, the rest were saying, well, we're all right, we've got, our income's okay, sort of thing. So, yeah. I, you know, and that's back in the 80s. So, you know, I don't, don't know that it's changed a lot, but, you no. know, you make the, the, the point about uh, Israel and, you know, they have to fight for survival, but then we've only got to look at the number of companies that are going under at the moment in Australia, particularly in the retail area, to go, well, there's got to be some innovation that can take place there. Yes, but what you'll find with those companies that they're really they're quite largely big companies uh, that don't have the agility of the smaller companies to move. And this is the other problem. We tend to get stuck in the bureaucracy here. So we're dealing with a, um, a couple of organisations at the moment who just cannot move fast enough because of the bureaucracy that they're under. So one of the mm. other stifling things is, um, is that bureaucratic nature of organisations within Australia. And this is what we find with the big companies. You know, there's, I'm sure everybody's read the, the meme and the stories and the, you know, the smart company articles on the top 500 companies will change dramatically over the next yeah. little while because yeah. people can't move fast enough. Yeah. So unless we actually adopt all the things that we know to be required um, in, in the environment that requires innovation, so we need the agility, we need the collaboration. We had a very interesting discussion about top-down, bottom-up innovation. Um, and the feel around the room from from this multi multi global or multi not multi global multi country um, meeting that we had was that most of the the prolific innovation is happening from the bottom up, but mm. it has the support of the top down. So it's not the top down that are coming up with the ideas um, and the new processes and everything. It's the people on the ground floor that are seeing this, but they have the absolute support of management. Mm. And I, I think that's a really interesting collaboration. There was. Uh a book, I can't remember the name of the book now, but it was a, the guy was named Ricardo Zembler back in uh, the 80s, again, yes. who talked about uh, setting up large companies in, in as little little businesses within the large company so that they yep. were like running like small businesses, which did, of course, yep. make them more uh, reactive to change. And so it was, it's Ricardo Zembler. We've actually yeah. spoken about him before. The company is Semco, and he set up a system called Holacracy, yeah. where there's circles of management, it's less hierarchical and it's more even, not to say that there's no control, but each, you're right, each area operates as its own business, it has its own budget, um, it sets its own timetable, and I think we've discussed before that, you know, they've got two secretaries, no one knows who's going to turn up on whatever day, because it's up to the two secretaries to decide, mm. as long as one of them turns up. They have, there are manufacturing organisations, so... If there's no orders Monday to Thursday, but all of a sudden they've got to pump a huge order out by Monday, people are in there on the weekend. They're not actually turning up for work Monday, Tuesday, but they're there Wednesday to Sunday to make sure the order gets out. So they're mm. very much um, part of an, or, 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 you know, they rule themselves autonomously. Uh, and if you go back to then Daniel Pink's motivations, we want autonomy. You know, we want to be responsible. Um, for ourselves, but these are things that actually grow slowly, and people are quite fearful of, yes. of acting autonomously. Yeah, big changes. They go, mm, yeah, they big. are big changes. So agility, autonomy, changes, and the other thing I think is really interesting um, from Dan Pink's perspective is that we actually don't need the praise 
um, from our top CEOs. What we want is is acknowledgement um, and not even recognition, but just somebody to say, hey, great job, from our colleagues and from our immediate line manager. So it doesn't even have to come, you know, in a hierarchical system. It doesn't have to come from the CEO. What we really want are our managers to go, hey, you're doing a really good job. And that, that becomes the validation and the reward that we need. Great. Well, thanks for your time again. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with yeah, let's a little discussion on innovation. Be interesting to see what changes in the future. Time for our Harvard Business Review tip. Set ground rules for behaviour in your next meeting. It's helpful to start a meeting by agreeing on procedural rules like start on time and end on time and put phones on vibrate. But ground rules that focus on behaviour, not just logistics, can help your meeting be even more successful. These rules describe specific actions that team members should take to act effectively. And here are a few to consider. Firstly, state views and ask genuine questions. This rule discourages monologues and arguments and encourages a conversation in which members seek to understand everyone's point of view. Secondly, use specific examples and agree on what important words mean. You want all the team members to use the same words to mean the same thing. Thirdly, explain reasoning and intent. This allows members to understand how others reach their conclusions and see where their reasoning differs from yours. And finally, jointly design next steps. This ensures that everyone is committed to moving forward together as a team. Some very little important tips there for us. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the importance of LinkedIn and we've also looked at innovation in Australia. In a moment, Sarah Farley-Adams will be with you with with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to visit the tax world again with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Albert Einstein once said, a person who never made a mistake, never tried anything new. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.